Okay, Acts chapter 9, if you have that, say amen. I know that's working. I can hear that. Acts 9, we're going to be preaching or speaking on the passion of Paul. We've been talking about the passion of the early church, now the passion of the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> Probably the second greatest man in, in history beside Jesus. Hello. Praise God. Well, excuse me. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're going to make sure we got us going now. In Acts 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell on the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In verse 6, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was there, or was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in the vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake." And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on, the name, on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength. And confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, 
proving that this was or is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the walls in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him, unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. This would be the Hellenistic Jews there. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today, Jesus, your anointing, God, your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, God, for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. We ask, God, that you would anoint us, inspire us, O oh God, to preach it and also to receive it. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And you may be seated in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Brother Daniel, help me out here since I don't have my lapel mic. Hold this up, please. Okay, I want to show you where <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is going from and going to. He is going from Jerusalem. Down here is Jerusalem. He is going up into Syria or Damascus to take people who are Christians, bind them, take them back to Jerusalem, and then persecute them. So you'll get an idea. Now Saul was actually born in Tarsus. Tarsus is right here in Cilicia, not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem down here. But he was born up here in Asia, this Asian area right here. All right, y'all see that? Near Cappadocia and Galatia right there. But that's where he was born. Apostle Paul. The passion of the Apostle Paul. We're going to talk about him this morning. What an awesome man he became. Thank you, brother. Awesome, awesome man. The Bible tells us that he has a passion to persecute at the beginning. Brother, can you close that door? All right, we got a lot of things sidetracking me this morning, but we'll get it together here in just a moment. Saul is passionate for persecution. He's, a, he's passionate for God. You believe that? He is on fire for God. And he believes that Jesus is a hypocrite at this time. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so because of that, he's going with letters from the high priest of Israel, from Jerusalem. He's going with them with authority to bind them. I'm talking about Christians here, people of the way. He's going to bring them back to Jerusalem and persecute them or kill them. So he thinks he's doing God a service. You with me here? Now, the Bible tells us clearly that he's breathing out threatenings against the disciples of the Lord. He goes to the high priest. He gets letters to go to Damascus over there in Syria to the synagogues. That if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Damascus with the letters in hand. Which means this, that he was either a part of the Sanhedrin or he was just, they knew him. I believe he was a part of the Sanhedrin court, the, the Supreme Court of the Jews in Jerusalem. Now he's got letters from them.
to go to the synagogues in Damascus, particularly here. What we need to understand is the background of the, the world at that time. That the high priest, although he was in Jerusalem, you know who I'm talking about, about high priest, right? He is over the Sanhedrin court. The high priest was the head of the Sanhedrin court. But his authority reached all over the world to every synagogue. So if there was a synagogue in Damascus, the high priest still had authority there. Didn't matter where it was, if it was a synagogue, they recognized the high priest authority. So now Paul, I will say being a member of the Sanhedrin court, has got letters from the high priest and the Sanhedrin court to go and bring these people, these people of the way, to Jerusalem to persecute them. Now he's breathing out threatenings. He's like a, a man that's gone mad against the church. Now, why is there so much anger in Paul or Saul, his Hebrew name, towards the church? Why is he so upset with them? Why is he so angry with them? Well, he had just heard Stephen preach. You with me? About Jesus being the fulfillment of the reality of the Old Testament. But now what you need to understand about Paul is he's not anti-Jewish after his conversion. He's Jewish before his conversion. He's Jewish after his conversion. He's not anti-Jerusalem after his conversion. He's not anti-law after his conversion. He is a Jewish man who believes in the God of the Old Testament. What he doesn't believe is that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes that Jesus is a hypocrite. <clears throat> he doesn't understand that the Old Testament ceremony has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You hear? Ooh, wow. And so with a passion... Because he's heard Stephen preach that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ of God, the Son of God. This is upset Paul. Okay, you with me here? So he's trying to blot out the people of the way, the Christian church. He's trying to do away with it completely. You with me here? Now, the Bible says that he's on his way to Damascus. Now, I want you to understand something about Paul here. That he is from Tarsus. He's born from Tarsus. Born at Tarsus in a Greek culture. He is a Jewish man. Right? And a Roman citizen. So he's got a lot about him. God is making this man to be a, the man for this particular time in history. There's no greater man who's ever lived than, other than Jesus than the Apostle Paul. His influence is widespread. Okay? This man, who is a Jew... Now, brother, come here and hold this for me. He would have been walking... He would have been walking. And he would have had a prayer shawl, a talit, on his body. Okay. As a Jew. This is a talit. Right here. He would have been walking down the road as a Jewish rabbi with this talit or the prayer shawl like this, okay? Jesus would have worn one, 
a talit or a prayer shawl, probably not designed just like this, but nonetheless the same type of shawl, okay? Now, Paul would have had one of these on just as Jesus did in his earthly ministry, but Paul's, according to the, the bookstore person that I, I purchased this from, said that it would have been out of solid wool. And you can get them today from Israel, they're about three, four hundred dollars, okay? But this one is, is not one of the more expensive ones, but it's, it's, a, it's a nice prayer shawl, and it came from Israel. This is actually made in Israel. And this is the, what he would have wore, would have been one of these. Now, at the base of, or the corners of the prayer shawl, there is these tassels here, and they are tied in knots. And there's one on each corner of the prayer shawl, so that there's a total of 612 of them. Representing 612 commandments of the Old Testament. With the tzitzit at the bottom of a corner there. Which has the blue, as you see right there, fastened on one of them. Making 613. So there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 612, then 613. This would have been on there like this right here. This tzitzit right here actually has the actual color that he would have had on his garment. <clears throat> For generations, this particular color from the shellfish had disappeared completely from Israel. But <clears throat> within the last century or so, the shellfish that produces this particular dye, this color has been found in Israel. And now they are literally making the seat seat with the, the same color that they would have made it in ancient times, the exact color of the dye is right there. That came out of a shellfish right there in Israel. This is genuine right here. This is made out of wool with the, with the correct color. This came from Israel right here, all right? Now, it's an awesome thing because as Jesus walked, they, <clears throat> a woman with an issue of blood reached up there to touch the hem of his garment. When she did, she was immediately healed. This speaks of the Word of God. Alright? The Word from God from heaven. And the heavenly Lord. So as she touched His garment, the seat seat, she grabbed a hold of that. And she was immediately healed by that. Why? Because it's, the Bible talks about the perfect law of liberty. The Word of God has set you free. Now, what I want you to understand about the Old Testament law is that it also had grace in it. The problem is, Paul doesn't know that Jesus is the fulfillment of it and the Messiah. So he's killing people who are following this man. Do you understand? And he would have been walking down the highway with his prayer shawl on, with the seat seat down there like that. And the reason why I didn't attach this is because I don't know how to attach the seat seat. I don't know, because there's 612 knots in these four. In each corner, you've got one of these, and there's 612 in these. So if I tied another knot and added this, I don't know if that would be considered proper or not. So I did not tie this, okay? But that represents the 613. But anyway, he would have had this hanging down there. And his robe would have possibly been blue. I'm not real sure of the color of it. But anyway, he's going down the highway, and he, I'm trying to give you a picture of this man. He would have had a box in his forehead. It's called the phylactery. 
would have been wrapped around his forehead. And in that box, there would have been four passages of Scripture. One of them, Deuteronomy, the Bible says, 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So in that box, that one Scripture plus three others would have been in there, some of them concerning the Passover, etc. And he's walking down the highway, highway as a, a, a rabbi, as a Jewish rabbi. See, we don't want to Americanize Paul. You with me here? I want you to see that he's a Jewish rabbi. A believer of the law. A believer in the Old Testament. A man who believes in the 613 commandments given by God. Ten plus those other ones throughout the law in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, etc. You must... Right with me here, you understand what I'm saying? In the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, a total of six. He believed those 613 laws. He had them in his prayer shawl. Okay? He had that tzitzit which showed him that the word came from God, came from heaven at the, at the bottom in that corner there, right? You with me here? So this is a Jewish man. He is a scholar in the law. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Which means they don't just sit around reading the Old Testament law, but they spend most of their time seeking out how to interpret the law. And their whole life focus, basically, as a Jewish rabbi, Paul's focus would have been how not to break the law. How not to break the 613 commandments given to them. You with me here? In the Old Testament. Not how to keep it but how not to break it. And so they have got, for example, the Ten Commandments had a couple of thousand rules that went with the Ten Commandments that were like fences around the law, keeping people from breaking the law. What I'm saying, rules that the rabbis set up to keep them from breaking the law, to keep them from breaking the Sabbath. Just ridiculous. Some of the things were just ridiculous things. I'm telling you the truth. That's true. They were ridiculous things. Hello. That's why Jesus, when he came and healed people on the Sabbath day, they had a problem with him because they didn't believe he, should, he could even heal anybody on the Sabbath day. So this man is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's an interpreter of the law. He, he knows the fences and, and the law. He knows the Old Testament. Are you with me here? And he's walking along. He's got that box on his forehead declaring the oneness of God. With me here? Walking ahead of the rest of the men. Because he is a very, very special rabbi. Are you with me? On his way from Jerusalem to Damascus. People behind him. It's a long walk. Okay, he's not riding a horse. He's not riding a donkey. He's, it's a long walk from Jerusalem to Damascus. And he's out front. He's got men behind him. So he's not talking much. You with me? He's got a lot of time to think. He's full of anger. He's full of wrath. He's wanting to kill people who are following Jesus. Right? He's got inner conflict going on in him. Because he just saw a man by the name of Stephen preach about the Old Testament law. And he 
saw Stephen present the law in a different light than he's walking in at that moment. And so there is conflict going on because he just saw, saw a man by the name of Stephen die for this Jesus. And his responsibility is to wipe out everybody who names the name of Jesus and everybody who's following this way. They're not called Christians at this point. They are called the people of the way. Now what does that mean? The people of the way. Well, in the Old Testament, in order to get into the Holy of Holies as the high priest, you had to offer blood sacrifices. And the people were carried on the breastplate of the high priest into the Holy of Holies. So the way into the Holy of Holies was by sacrifice and by the high priest. Say the way. But now Jesus is the way. John says he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way to life. He is the sacrifice. In fact, when he died, the veil of the temple in the most holy place was rent in two, allowing people into the most holy place. So the way into the most holy place or the holy of holies is Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed and the veil has been rent. So these Christians are called the people of the way. The way into the Holy of Holies is through his death. It could be that they were called the way because Jesus, again, was called the way, the truth. He said, I am. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or the way of life. It could have been that they were called the people of the way because Isaiah talks about a highway called the highway of holiness. And on that highway, if you remember when we preached Isaiah, that people on that highway, the lame man would leap as a heart, and the blind would see, and miracles would take place as people would be on that highway called the highway of holiness. And so now people are getting cured, and miracles taking place, and they're living a holy life. So they are the people of the way, right? I would say you can have all of that. All of it's true. That. Jesus is the way of life. He's the way into the most holy place. He is really literally the highway of holiness. And through him, people are getting healed. So they are called the people of the way. So he's on his way to, to take these people of the way, bind them and persecute them. Now, he's got a lot going on. His anger and his wrath is a picture of inner conflict. See, he believes he's right in his persecution against the church. With me here? He don't have nobody to talk to there, so all he can do is just think. Think about what Stephen preached. Hallelujah. Think about the way that Stephen died. Think about what Stephen preached about Jesus Christ. See, you with me here? Go ahead, go ahead and take this, brother. God is an awesome God. <clears throat> you understand he was Jewish, right? I'm trying to get you to see that. This man, let me give you his background, all right? This man was born in Tarsus. Brother, you're going to have to put my jacket somewhere else. <laughs> Brother, come here. This man's born in Tarsus. Where is that at? Right up here. Okay, right, right there. You see it? 
He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He's not a Jerusalem Jew. He does speak Hebrew, but he speaks Greek also, and probably Aramaic. He was born in Tarsus, which means he is a Hellenistic Jew. Don't miss that. To be a Hellenistic Jew means a person who's, who's a part of the dispersion. Jews that have been dispersed throughout all the world were called the dispersion. And so if you lived in a different part of the world other than Jerusalem, you were called a, a Hellenistic Jew. A person who lived in Greek culture. So as a baby, Paul was born in Greek culture. A Hellenistic Jew. Now, in Tarsus, let me tell you a little bit about Tarsus. Tarsus is, got, has got a huge university there. It, it is seen literally as a, a place of education that is greater than Athens, Greece, and greater than Alexandria. They had huge teaching facilities in those parts of the world. Athens, Greece, and Alexandria. But Tarsus is seen even on a higher level than they are as far as education goes. The people with the most gifted minds would have gone to Tarsus to study there. Alright, you with me? And it is full of Greek culture, Hellenistic culture, ideologies, right? They are, the people that live in Tarsus are people of all kinds of diversification. All kinds of people. At the same time, not only are they educated, but they are extremely idolatrous. And this is the city that Paul was born in, in a Greek culture, a Hellenistic Jew, surrounded by this education, surrounded by the great thinkers of his day, surrounded by diversification of people, but full of idolatry. And all kinds of oppositions going on within there. You with me here? Whether or not he went to that College in Tarsus, the Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know that he did. I know that at an early age, the Bible said he went up to Jerusalem for his education. As to how much this Greek culture influenced Paul, I don't know. Because the Bible doesn't really tell us. It just tells us where he was born at. Hello. So in culture, he's a Hellenistic Jew, but in in birth, the birthplace in Tarsus, but as a man, he is a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee of the Pharisees by religion. At some point, if he had gone to this college here in Tarsus, at some point the scripture says he went up to Jerusalem and sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of his day in Jerusalem. It may be, though, that as the Scripture says, as a young man, he left Tarsus and he went straight over to Jerusalem and he got his education there and then eventually moved up and sat under the feet of Gamaliel. Now, in order to go to the college in Jerusalem and sit at, the, sit at the feet of Gamaliel, his mom and his dad had to be extremely wealthy. So he goes to school in Jerusalem at one of the greatest teachers of his day, 
No doubt, again, wealth was involved there. Hello, somebody. But the Bible says he's also a Roman citizen. Now, that's unique. To be a Roman citizen as a Jewish man. And how he got that, the Bible says he was freeborn. Which means his mom and his dad were already Roman citizens. You know? Be like a, a citizen of the United States of America. Etc. But anyway, he was a Roman citizen, freeborn. And how his mom and dad got this citizenship, we're not sure. But we do know that Tarsus, as the Romans took it over, that they actually imparted by reward citizenship to certain colonies by reward. Could have been that they purchased their citizenship. I'm talking about Paul's mom and dad. But nonetheless, he was born, freeborn, a Roman citizen. Got it? Trained in the law, believed the law, followed the law, taught the law. I'm talking about Paul here. Okay. Once he graduated from the school in Jerusalem, he would have gone back home in uh, Tarsus. Okay, you with me here? When he got back home in Tarsus, he would have married at that time. Now, let me tell you something about him. At five years of age, he would have been able to read the Hebrew Scripture and not only read it, but probably memorize Leviticus at five. Okay, you with me here? At ten, he would have been taught the Mishnah, which is Jewish commentary. At 13, he would have been called a son of a law at Bar Mitzvah, which means he would have studied the commandments of God at, by 13. Okay, you with me here? At 15, he would have studied the Jewish Talmud, which is huge. You with me here? And understanding that Old Testament. And at 18, he would have married so in Jerusalem, he's gone up for his education, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. But at 18, he would have gone back to Tarsus. And there, I believe he would have been married. Because you could not have been a part of the Sanhedrin court unless you were married. It was required. So this man is very particularly and peculiarly trained for what God has for him to accomplish. He has got the diversification of Greek in him. He is a Jewish believer, a Jewish man who believed in the Old Testament law. He is a Roman citizen. He's got the tenacity of a Jew in him. He's got the versatility of Greek culture working in him. And he's got... The facility of the Roman citizenship working in him. He's a very unique man. And he will eventually become the apostle not to Israel. But the apostle to the Gentiles. Are you here? That's his background. This man was unique. Highly trained rabbi. Highly educated. Highly surrounded by diversification and highly facilitated by his Roman citizen with, with, citizen with great, great potential to move.
to preach the gospel. As Paul has been raised up or brought up, the Romans have made roads that their troops walked on, marched on. Now they're going to be used to preach the gospel on. Paul has been raised during the time of the Roman government, which means there was a law, so there's one authority in the land. He's, listen, he's been raised in Greek culture, and the language of that day would have been the Greek language so that he could go out and not have to know all the languages of the world. And he could go out and preach that in the Greek language all over the world because the Greek language was there. He rose up in a time whenever in Jerusalem and the Jewish people there was a decay in religion. Are you here? And most people were really not too interested in following the philosophers of the Greeks. Hello, somebody. But this man is raised up for a specific time in history. Woo, glory to God. To fulfill the purpose of God in his life. And when we first see him, he's going up there and he's persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting the church of Jesus and thinking that he's right in doing that. Hello, somebody. And he is in conflict. Internal conflict. He is full of darkness within as he's doing this. But he's got a passion for the law. He's got a passion for God. He's got a passion for the word. And because of that passion in him, that passion for the law and for God as he knew him, that is compelling him to kill these people and believe that he's doing it right because really Jesus in his mind is a hypocrite and a false prophet and a false teacher. He's anything but Messiah. He's anything but from God. He's an imposter to Paul. Oh yeah. And this imposter in Paul's mind is threatening his Jewish roots, his Jewish faith, what he believes. Hello, somebody. In his mind, because he heard Stephen preach, this Jesus uh, has, has said that the temple would be destroyed, you know? What? Our temple destroyed? Oh, he, see, he can't tolerate that. He doesn't want to believe that the temple is going to be destroyed and that Jesus has come and fulfilling those things. So he is, I mean, he just doesn't believe that Christianity is truth. He believes it's utterly and totally false and that Jesus was an antichrist. Hear me. He thought Jesus was the antichrist. That's why he is so angry and so passionate about getting rid of the church. Are you with me now? But God is going to turn that passion and that zeal that he's got. He's going to turn it around for his glory and use this man to preach the gospel all over the world. Travel 12,000 miles, land and sea to preach this Jesus that he once persecuted before. This man was going to be eaten with zeal and eaten with a passion, no longer just for the law, but a, a passion for Jesus and the gospel and the church. Woo, hallelujah. Look, they say the passion of Paul. Very unique. So here he goes, walking down the highway toward Damascus. He's got his talit on, his prayer shawl. He's got his, his, 
Those four corners there, 612 with his each seat on it there, 613 commandments. He's got his, his uh, box on his head here. Always with the Lord our God is one Lord. And man, he's going out with a passion to take these people and kill them. I've got to wipe them out. The people of the way. As they were called in Jerusalem. But on the road to Damascus. This man who is a Roman citizen, this man who can speak Greek, this man who is a Jewish man. As he's walking toward Damascus, he has an encounter with the Lord. All of a sudden, a light from the most holy place radiates upon Saul, blinding him. Bible said the people that were around him saw no man only hearing a voice. Paul, this glory comes from the most holy place, blinding him so bright. It's brighter than the sun in the noonday. Jesus is standing in the glory. In fact, Jesus is the glory. And so now, before in Acts, the Bible shows us that he was a part of a persecution. He put Stephen to death or gave his consent to the death of Stephen. And Stephen saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And so now Paul has an encounter with that very same Jesus that he's persecuting. And this light blinded him. And he says, Who art thou, Lord? Now, I don't know at that time in his mind that he's thinking about Lord God. I don't know if he's asking, are you, who are you, Lord God? I believe the word, well, the word Adonai there is master. So basically what he's saying, who art thou, sir? Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus speaks back to him and he says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now you got to get a hold of this. Because Paul's already got inner conflict now. And the glory from the most holy place is radiated through him. And Jesus, the one that he's persecuting, is the one that's speaking to him. Jesus, what? What? Can you imagine now what must be going on in this man's mind? Because he's been persecuting this Jesus. And all of a sudden this Jesus, his glory radiates upon him so bright it blinds him. Who art thou, Lord? Who are you, sir? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. That would blow your mind, wouldn't it? If you were thinking you were doing God a service persecuting people of the way that follow Jesus Christ and all of a sudden he appears to you in the glory in the Shekinah glory that glory that followed him in the Old Testament now Jesus is standing there in the midst of that Ooh, you know this man's really really going through a, a transition now I mean he's full of darkness inner darkness He's full of confusion. He's got inner conflict going on in him. That's why he's fighting so fervently against the church. Because he's got an inner conflict. 
And now this Jesus that he's persecuting appears to him. Notice she said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Well, it's his believers that he's binding and taking them up and persecuting them. But Jesus said, when you persecute them, you persecute me. When you kill them, you kill them. When you bind their hands, you bind my hands. When you bind their feet, you bind my feet. Because they are my body. What? And the Bible said the brightness of the light blinds him. And I believe the physical blindness is just a manifestation of the internal spiritual darkness of that man. He's dark inside. In fact, later he's going to get healed. And as he begins to preach, read his epistles. He talks about people having their eyes opened and their darkness being turned to light. So I believe that, yeah, his eyes were open, not just physically, but spiritually. And he received light in the darkness of his soul. In the place of that darkness in his, in his soul. So he said, I, my purpose is to go out and open people's eyes. To see the gospel. They'll be turned from darkness to light. That He could identify with that. Because that's who he was. He was a man filled with darkness. But a man full of passion. But now he's met Jesus. And Jesus said, you're persecuting my body. Wow. Now all of a sudden, the men that were with him. You know, and he's got the letters to kill these people. Now he's going to become one. Can I tell you who makes some of the greatest preachers? People who once fought the church. People who once rejected the, the Lord, rejected the church. You get them in the kingdom of God and I want you to know they get a passion. The passion they had to fight the church, now they've got a passion to promote the church. Hello. And so now, with letters in hand, these men that are with him don't know what to do with this man. <clears throat> Something has happened to him. To them, he probably looked like he lost his mind. Because all of a sudden, he's blind, can't see. No telling what he's babbling. <clears throat> when I know a little bit of it, he said, Who art thou, Lord? Can you get the picture of these guys sitting around here? Look at him talking to some invisible person. Oh. You got to be careful about hanging around people who, who talk to invisible people. <clears throat> Look at him talking to an invisible person. Well, we heard a voice. Don't know where it came from. Paul, who are you talking to? Why are you talking like that? I'm telling you, I believe they thought he was a babbling idiot. And now he's blind. Why are you with me here? And so the Bible said they have to lead this great, great rabbi by the hand into Damascus. Hello? Good riddance. Here, Paul, here's your room. Get in there. We're going to go over here, man. Something's funny with you. Hello. Yeah, we already had this room picked out for you. We already had it reserved for you. Here's your room. Here's the keys. Go in there. Just stay there. And we're going to go to our room. Thank you kindly. 
At the same time that Paul is over there, the Bible said he, he made his way through the street called straight to his that place of, uh, to stay. And at the same time, there's a man by the name of Ananias. There's three Ananias in the Bible. Acts 5, here in Acts chapter 9, I believe in Acts 22, maybe 23. But there's three of them here. All right, you hear? Ananias is just a believer. A simple believer. Not an apostle. Not a prophet. A simple believer. Now, Paul had a vision. He's got a revelation that Jesus is Lord. Okay. Ooh. I mean, his guys just having all kinds of conflict. What now? And not only did Paul receive a vision, but now Ananias receives a vision. Because you see, in the church, visions of the Lord were not just, you know, a surprise. They were the norm. So that when the Lord appears to Ananias, he don't go, <gasps> when he has a vision of the Lord and the Lord begins to talk to Ananias, he acts like there's no big deal. Like he just talking to his friend. Hello, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Good to see you. I'm telling you the truth. Read it. I read it to you already. Like it's a common thing for the Lord to appear to these people and speak to them. Well, he's a resurrected Lord. He's alive. Who's not an apostle. As far as I know, he's not a prophet. He's never called that in the New Testament anyway. Just a normal Christian who hears from God. A man in tune with God. And the Lord appears to him, and he tells him, uh, There's a man by the name of Paul here in town, and I want you to go visit him. Behold, he prayeth. So over there, you know, off the street called Straight there. And right now he's praying. And you've got to understand that Ananias over there in Damascus knew that, I believe, knew that Paul was coming to probably take him and kill him like he had done Stephen and take other Christians, other fellow believers with him to Jerusalem to kill him. And now Jesus is appearing to Ananias and telling him that he wants him to go visit this persecutor. It'd be like the Lord, in a small sense, appearing to you and saying, I want you to go visit Saddam Hussein. He's in certain, certain cave. His address is this. Behold, he prays. What are you talking about, Lord? Want me to go visit Saddam Hussein? <laughs> Lord, you must have the wrong man. Number one, with me. And number two, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> you want me to go talk to Saddam Hussein? Yeah. Behold, he prayeth. But, but don't you know, Lord, see, he's going to talk to the Lord. He's going to give the Lord some, uh, uh, some understanding here. Don't you know, Lord, uh, that this man uh, has authority to bind those that believe in you and follow you? And he's, don't you know, Lord, that he's a persecutor of the church? Don't you know he's trying to help God? Yeah, you know, trying to tell, explain to God, you don't want nothing to do with this man. Hello. Well, don't be too critical on him. God told you to go to Saddam Hussein. Well, would you? You know God. Well, you know God. Hey, he's the one, man. He's 
cruel despot. But the Lord said, Behold, he prays. And so Ananias, from a vision from God, he goes over there. Well, you know what? The Lord said he'd be right here. Let's see if he's here, number one. If he's not here, that means I know it wasn't a vision from God. Uh, sir, do you happen to have a man by the name of, of Saul here? Uh, yeah, I sure do. You remember whenever Jesus said, Saul, Saul? He spoke his name twice. It's the double enunciation of deity. What God, whenever God speaks twice, once in the heavens and once for the earth, what God is saying, I'm fixing to change everything. I'm fixing to change this world through this man. Remember when he appeared to Samuel in the Old Testament? Samuel, Samuel. Saul, Saul. Verily, verily, or truly, truly. That means he said, I'm fixing to step in. I'm fixing to take over. I'm going to change things. And I say it once for the heavens and once for the earth. What God said is right here. You know what? I just stepped in. I took over, Saul. I'm fixing to not only change Paul, but I'm fixing to change the world through him. Is Saul, is Saul staying here? Yes, he is. Okay. <coughs> Can you point into the general area? Yeah, right down there. He goes up there. If they had doors, I think they had doors. Walked up there, Ananias. God said he would be here, and he's here. But he also said he'd be praying. So let me see if he's praying. Yeah, I hear him praying. God knew. I'm talking about a simple believer. He walks in there and God had already told Ananias what his purpose for going was. Is that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So he walks in the door. He says, Brother Saul. Now don't read too much into that. Because that's the way Jews greeted Jews. Brothers. Brother Saul, are you here? But it could be that he had, a, maybe by then he started, God started working in his heart and saying, you know what, that could be my brother. Hallelujah. God's already told me that he'd be here and he'd be praying. And just like, yeah, Ooh, God's got a plan for him. He couldn't be my brother. But you see, I think as a Jew, he'd probably have a hard time even calling him brother because of the way he was persecuting church. But he still called him Brother Saul. Hello. The Lord that appeared to thee, even Jesus, has sent me, has sent me, that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And that believer walks up to him, lays hands on Paul under the direction of the power of God, and by his... Being sent by God. And he, when he lays hands on him, Mark 6, 6, 15, 16, 15, says, These signs shall follow them and believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so we've got just a believer here fulfilling that. He lays hands on him and immediately he received his sight. Scales fall off his eyes. 
And then he is also filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately, the Bible said, he arose and was baptized. And Acts 22, 16 says he was baptized in the name of Jesus. So now the persecutor of the church is now going to be a part of the church. The one who was going after the people of the way are now a part of the people of the way. Now, this is important for everybody here today. Is because we have to look at his conversion and see how he got converted. The way he got converted is Ananias didn't walk in there and say, Now, Paul, you need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. That's what a lot of churches will tell you. Just come up to the front, accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Now listen to me. Paul already had a powerful encounter with Jesus. And a lot of people, because they have an encounter with Jesus, think that's salvation. But just because you've had an encounter with Jesus, and it might be so powerful that you've been blinded by the glory, doesn't mean that you're saved. I got healed, so I must be saved. No, you can get healed and still be lost. You can have a powerful encounter with Jesus and still be lost. You can be binded by His glory and still be lost. You can get a revelation of who He is and still be lost. Listen to me. Ananias walks up there. He doesn't say, accept the Lord as your personal Savior. He tells him this. I've come first that you might be healed... Secondarily, that you might be filled, and then you're going to be baptized. In Jesus' name, too. Let me tell you something. There is no such creature who are a part of the people of the way. No such person who's a part of the people of the way in the early church. That was not baptized in Jesus' name and was not filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. There is no such person in the New Testament who are a part of the people of the way. Who were not filled with the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues and baptized in Jesus' name. Today's churches though will tell you, oh this, now read it for yourself. Get in the Word of God, study for yourself. Churches, they all you got. If Paul was alive today, unless somebody heard from God, sent by God, they would go to him and say, Hey, Paul, all you got to do is accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and you're in the kingdom. But there's no such person who was a part of the people of the way that ever came into the kingdom that way. If you're going to be a part of the people of the way, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Give God praise. What's being preached in a lot of pulpits today is not in the Bible. Is that right? Oh, I got a lot of time. Man. You know what I'm telling you? So if you want to be converted then you've got to do the same thing Paul did. You've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost 
with the evidence speaking with other tongues and be water baptized in the name of Jesus. And then you become a part of the people of the way. Don't let people lie to you and tell you all you have to have is a powerful encounter with Jesus. Don't let people lie to you and tell you all you got to do is come up there and accept Jesus as your Savior. You might have found repentance, but you didn't get born again. If you're a part of the people of the way, there's only one way. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Does that help you? And I want to share this with you. This has nothing to do with denominational theology or this is not Pentecostal belief denominationally. This is the Word of God. Show me one person in the book of Acts or in the New Testament that were a part of the people of the way, the church, that were not baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Show me one person. I'm trying to give you some good news today that you can experience the very same thing that Paul experienced. And you're looking at somebody standing before you right now that have. I have been filled with the Holy Ghost speaking and baptized in Jesus' name. And so now he's a part of the people of the way. And this believer, Ananias, a common everyday believer, is the one that brought him to the Lord. Some people think it's got to be a preacher to bring somebody to God. That's not true. God, God may set you up, may send you to somebody who will eventually be one of the greatest preachers that have ever walked this earth. That's why you've got, and I've got to be in tune with God to know when and where to go and who he wants me to talk to. Because that person may be the, an apostle Paul. There's people you're sitting by right now, some of you. Sitting by somebody right now, you don't even know it. But they could be some of the greatest people in the church who've ever lived. You don't know what the future holds. I guarantee you when Ananias, you know, I know Ananias got a revelation from God a little bit about what Paul was going to do for God and his kingdom. But I don't think Ananias ever envisioned Paul as this great missionary covering the then known world, making three missionary trips and bringing in millions of converts. I don't think he could, he could ever envision that man doing that kind of work for God. And some of you are the same way. You're sitting by a very powerful men and women of God. And you don't envision them doing much for the kingdom. But I'm telling you, you could be sitting by somebody that's going to shake the foundation of hell and turn the world upside down for Jesus. Because if I were to pick somebody to impact the world and history, and the church, like this man did, I would have been the same as Ananias. Can't be Paul. Oh, it might be brother so-and-so in a church. Oh, but no, no, no way it's Paul. But it was Paul. And his whole life from birth, Galatians 1, he says, from birth, 
from birth, his whole life was God preparing him for the mission that only Paul could fulfill. Paul was prepared by God. Also, the people that Paul would impact were prepared by God. So that we have a man prepared by God for a people and a people prepared by God for a man. See, he's totally different now, though. Now he's a born-again Christian. He's a part of the people of the way. Wonder what? Wonder what Ananias, the high priest, the other Ananias, thought when he got the news. He got the report that one named Ananias went into Paul, his, his right-hand man, and he got converted to the people of the way. Now I wonder what Ananias, the other Ananias in Jerusalem thought when he got the news that Paul had become a part of the people of the way. What what he thought? I'm sure he probably had a heart attack. What? Paul? He's one of them now. I believe that Ananias went to his grave thinking about all the people that came to know Jesus. Paul did. God's awesome, isn't he? So now this tells us what the Bible says, what he what says after he did that. About it got converted. I'm going to read to you because I want you to. 17, and Ananias went his way and entered into the, into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales. He received sight forthwith, arose, and was baptized. Water baptized and spirit filled. That's the only way the people of the way entered into the way. The Bible says this. And when he had received meat, was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now can you imagine him? Now he's a believer. And can you see him when he walked in church the first day? Having been a persecutor of that church, he walks in there and sits down with the church. And Brother Mark looked at him and said, ah. What's he doing here? He's got to be here because he's spying us out. You know, for a while, this man hadn't, he wasn't welcome anywhere. He wasn't welcome in church. He wasn't welcome in Jerusalem. He was a man with no land. Walked in. The first day he went to church. Trying to give you you an understanding here. This man who once now a persecutor has now been converted. And I think the people in the church had heard a little bit about it, but you know, they still don't believe it. Do you know it took the church about three years for them to believe that Paul was really converted? (laughs) Three years he went to church, and they finally said, I believe he's real. (laughs) Three years before he was looked at as being for real. 
Well, you can't blame them, can you? In a sense. And you just think about it. Paul sitting there in the, in the synagogue there in Damascus. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> the person who's leading the synagogue, we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper. Take the what? Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper? What's the Lord's Supper? And they bring out bread and wine, emblems of the finished work of the cross. And they're over receiving the, the bread and the wine as emblems, symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You know this is blowing his mind. Hello. Glory to God. Somebody over in the corner stands up and gives tongues and interpretation. What's that? Another one stands up prophesying under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Paul said, man, there's some power there. Just think about his first days at church. They were scared to death of him and he was freaking out. Maybe brother so-and-so took off and ran around the church. And Paul goes, what? Now don't talk to me like that or don't look at me in that tone of voice. Because, see, I was raised a good Lutheran. Real formal. And the first time I walked in a power-filled, spirit-filled, Jesus-named church, they were praising God out loud, running around, shouting and screaming. I go, What? I'll never do that. I'll never be a part of those crazy people. Well, guess what? I joined the people of the way. Now I'm running. Now I'm shouting. Now I'm praising God. Now I'm preaching that gospel. Went from a, being a partier, hallelujah, crazy partier, to a passionate person for God. See, all you see is who we are now. You don't see where we came from. And God's trying to show you where Paul came from. So there he is. Oh, the Bible says something about what he did while he's in Damascus. He got stronger and stronger. And he confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving this is very Christ. So now he's got some unbelieving Jews over there. Now he's a believing Jew. He's got unbelieving Jews over there. Now he's preaching that Christ, Jesus, is the Messiah. That he is. And he's preaching it to Jews. Now you've got to get that. Because I know he was an apostle to the Gentiles. And he went in the synagogues, and some people would have you believe that he only preached to Gentiles when he went in those synagogues, that there was never a Jew there. And they would have you to believe that the Jews have another way to get to God other than Jesus. And that Gentiles are saved and brought in the kingdom through Jesus, but the Jews get to God by the law. They still preach it today. That there's two ways to God. Gentiles through Jesus and Jews through the law. You don't believe me? I just recently, when I got this Talit, this prayer shawl, 
I picked up a book. It is pretty interesting. It's called Reinventing Paul. <laughs> and I will agree that a lot of people have so made him Americanized that we lose the fact that he was a Jew. But see, what they have done, and some of it's good, don't get me wrong, but what they have done is so put Paul in a box that he doesn't even preach to the Jews in synagogues. They're all Gentiles. And that Paul did not even, come on, listen to me, try to present Christ as the Messiah of Israel. And that that he believes, this man believes, that Israel is going to be saved outside of Jesus. That Jesus isn't really, he's not necessary for salvation for the Jews, only for the Gentiles. That's what he writes. And it's promoted by, if I were to give you names, you would say, wow, I can't believe he promoted that. Hello, somebody. But I tell you, Paul preached not just to Gentiles. He was an apostle of the Gentiles, but he preached to Jews also. In fact, when God appeared, you don't know how important what I'm telling you is. You're going to sleep on me right now because you don't know how important this is. Paul, God said to Ananias, he's going to preach to kings. He's going to preach to the children of Israel also. Amen. Yes, been an apostle. I'm trying to tell you that if there's another way to God except through Jesus Christ, then the first ten chapters of Acts are false. Because the first 10 chapters of Acts, in Acts 2, Jews came into the kingdom through Jesus Christ and were born again. Paul in Acts 9, who's a Jew, came into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. If this message is only for the Gentiles and not the Jews, the first 10 chapters of Acts are all false doctrine. And that's what that book declares. I'm telling you, this is what... That book declares. It goes on to say that Paul never stated that Israel would come to God through Jesus. He doesn't mean that it's alluded to, but he says it's never stated that way. And his final conclusion, so you not think I'm just out there right up there somewhere. It may seem rash for me as a, and not only that, but he goes on, he says, I'm a non-believing Christian. Now, he is a professor at Princeton, a professor of religion at Princeton University. They're so smart, they don't have spiritual sense. So smart, no spiritual sense. Here's what he said. I don't, I don't understand this statement, honestly. But it may seem rash for me as a non-believing Christian. I don't, I don't know what he means by that. To venture onto theological territory. I do so because of my conviction that there is more at stake here than mere Christianity. My proposal is that we strip away the apocalyptic framework of Paul's thought in a different way. If we remove this apocalyptic mystery altogether... That is, the notion that in the final days of this era, God causes Israel's momentary stumble in order to redeem Gentiles. I believe that. We are left with two basic affirmations. This is where I disagree. One, 
God's unshakable commitment to Israel and to the holiness of the law. Yes, he is. Which he says equals Judaism. And two, the redemption of the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, Christianity. Ultimately, I don't have time, but I've got it marked over here in different places. This man says that Jesus came to save the Gentiles, but that Israel doesn't even have to go through him. One, one flesh. The point I'm trying to share with you is this. Is that I will agree that the American church and pulpiteers in the church have made Paul, tried to make him an American. But see, here's the point. I have never told you he was anti-Old Testament. Never told you Paul was anti-law. Never have I told you that. There are some churches that would teach that. Are you here? I have never taken Paul's Jewishness away from him. But I've tried to declare to you that Paul became a born-again believer as a Jew. With a Greek culture and a Roman citizenship to go out there to be an apostle to the Gentiles, yes. But he also preached to Jews. The only way into the kingdom is through Jesus Christ. Now, that right there, what I just shared with you is invaluable. Invaluable. Now, let me share this with you, though. Also, when I went and got this book, all right, the other day when I got this talit and I got this book, I did not buy this book to critique it and to find problem with the book. I bought the book to be corrected by the book. So that I, as a preacher in America, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, but a Gentile before Christ would have better understanding of a Jewish man by the name of Paul. That's why I bought the book. To be corrected in my thinking. But when I bought the book, I found out the book is preaching heresy in certain points. So I didn't buy it to critique it. I bought it to be critiqued by it. But I'm telling you, friend, you've got to be careful. About what you believe and what you, what you are being told. Neither is there salvation. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Under heaven, doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, doesn't make any difference. Jesus is the only way to be saved. And Paul found that out. And yes, as a Jew, he would have continued to be a Jew. As a Jew, no doubt, continued to observe the Sabbath. But he understood what all that meant. And he didn't tell Gentiles that they had to do that. You can if you want understanding. But it's not by... You getting the point here? How did Paul get saved? I'm trying to tell you right now that a lot of churches that are so-called Gentile churches... Don't preach the true plan of salvation. And Jewish people make another way for Israel beside Jesus. So they're not preaching it right either. So I've got to find out how a Jew got saved and how Gentiles got saved in the Bible. <clears throat> and how to be part of a people of the way. Does this help anybody? <laughs> hello, hello. Well, let's close out. So they're in Damascus after attending church. In verse 20, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. 
he got a revelation that Jesus was God. Not just an anointed Messiah. There are many Messiahs in the Bible. I'm talking about anointed men. But he is the Messiah. But not just the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's God come in the flesh. As he's preaching to the Jews this message. Various places in the synagogue. The Bible says. And after that many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel. Oh they're going to kill him. Man he's stirring up a lot of trouble. I'm almost through. But I. I heard something last night that I wish I had in hand right now. A preacher stood up and he said that a man put in his application at a certain church whose pulpit was empty. They needed a pastor. And he said a certain man put in his application for that church. He talked about it. He said this man, he said he gave his qualifications for the church. He said, I've only pastored small churches. He said, most of my pastors have been very controversial. In fact, I was run out of town several times. In fact, they tried to kill me several times. Hello? In fact, I went to jail too. For no wrongdoing on my part. And the eldership, uh, the pulpit committee, they call them. Got that application. This is a true story. I think it is. I'm, I'm not sure, but anyway. It might be just by way of illustration, but I believe the way he gave it in the context that it was really, it really happened. I don't know. But they got this, and they read about this man who was causing all these kinds of problems, who only pastored small churches, who had been, you know, kicked out of towns and tried to kill him and put in jail. And... Tried to kill him and put in jail. And the public community said, in response to that application, we don't have any, anything to do with a man who's constantly in trouble, constantly. A jailbird. We don't need a jailbird in our pulpit. We don't need troublemakers in our pulpit. And we, we are embarrassed that you would even send this application in. And at the bottom of it, the application was signed by the Apostle Paul. <laughs> so that most churches today would not want Paul standing behind their pulpit. They wouldn't want John standing behind their pulpit. Because he's too controversial. A jailbird kicked out of town multiple times. He would not be accepted in most pulpits today. And most church people would not have him to be their pastor. Because he's too controversial. He's too strict. and he's Oh, hello. Give God a hand clap praise. So this very man is now preaching the gospel. And Ananias is having a heart attack in Jerusalem. Ooh, but now he's got passion for Jesus. Now, I promise you I'm almost through. What time is it? Because i got to let you. I got, I got to let you out here in time. It's 12 o'clock. And I got, dinner is 12.30. It is. I announced it Wednesday. I did. 
But all that heard him, verse 21, were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? Are you with me? Wow. But Saul increased the more strength and found of the Jews, which dwelt at Damascus, proving that he was very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him. Wow. Well, what I've got to tell you is that in these verses, the time of his conversion and the time he first goes to church in Damascus, after, after that, Galatians 1 said immediately he went to Arabia. You with me? These verses look like it's all happening at the same time. And no, there's time that's separating this. So he gets converted, goes in the church at Damascus. You with me here? Preaches Jesus, etc. But I believe before that, that the Bible said he went to Arabia. See, he had, he's had an experience, but now he needs content. So he goes to Arabia. It is believed that he went to the mountain of God. Where God gave the law to Moses. Which he believed and which he taught. I'm talking about Paul. Also it's believed that Elijah was there. when Remember he went in the cave. That the same mountain of God that Moses was. And the same mountain of God that Elijah went to. Is the same mountain that Paul went to. In Arabia. And while he's there, he gets the Old Testament, which is all he had at that time. And he begins to study the Old Testament. He didn't throw it away. He studied it. And now he's got more light as to what it means. He's got a revelation as to what it means. And now on every page in the Old Testament, he can see Jesus. I know that because as you study his epistles, he quotes from Genesis throughout the Old Testament. And he preached Christ under them from the Old Testament. Just like when we stand up here and preach to you. The Old Testament types and shadows. We preach Christ to you. We preach the finished work to you because we've got a revelation and light has come on. Now we understand what the Old Testament means. That the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. So while he's up there, he's not, just, he's not studying the traditions of the fathers. He's with Jesus. And Jesus has given him a revelation of the Old Testament. When Jesus walked, after he was crucified, dead, buried, rose again the third day, he walked with his disciples. And he went from Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament. And he said, look, the whole Bible is about me. You have to understand what he studied. What he saw was Old Testament. In the light of Jesus Christ. Woo, give God praise. In fact, Galatians, he said, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. He said, I didn't even go up to Jerusalem to ask the apostles what they believed. He said, I went straight to Arabia and God revealed it to me. He showed me Jesus on every page in the Old Testament. 
Read his epistles and see what I'm talking about. Give God praise. And from Arabia, then he goes back to Damascus, Galatians 1 says. Hello. Say praise the Lord. God's good, isn't he? And verse 23, all that's happened in these few verses. Conversion, Arabia, back to Damascus. He goes on and says this. God, I feel the Holy Ghost, man. And after that many days were filled, the Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying await was known of Saul. They watched the gates by day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, let him down by the wall in a basket in Damascus. Can you see him? They put him in a basket, lowering him down in a basket. <laughs> Great Rabbi Paul. Being let down in a basket. To get out of town. That's a, good, that's a good parallel like Moses. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't God good? God can make a way of escape. I don't care what you're going through right now. See, what you need to understand is that God has a call on your life. But it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. Your call might be rejected outright. You might be rejected outright. You might have had an experience, but you've got to get content. And then once you get content and experience together, then you might get murdered for preaching it. Or try. They might try to kill you for preaching it. See, God will always make opportunity collide with your gift. Just because you're gifted doesn't mean you have an opportunity to use the gifting. Because both comes by from God. But God will make your opportunity and your gifting collide for His purpose. So now, man, He's got to get, you know, out of Dodge. He's got to get out of Damascus. Because the Jews are trying to kill this man. Hello, somebody. Well, and then the Bible says this. <coughs> Verse 26, when Saul was come to Jerusalem. Now he goes up to Jerusalem. And Galatians tells us that he's there for a while. He stays with Simon Peter. He stays with him. Hello. Can you imagine the conversation that was going on between those two? Hallelujah. And what is awesome, when he got to compare notes... The message he got from God was the same message that God gave to Peter. It's not a different message. Same message. Praise the Lord. Well, he got problem in Jerusalem too. So the scripture says this. Praise the Lord. Verse 20, when Saul was coming to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And believe not that he was a disciple up there in Jerusalem, you know. Been in Damascus, all these powerful things have happened, you know. And now he goes to Jerusalem, he's not welcome in Damascus, so now he goes up to Jerusalem and just believing and trusting. Everybody's going to open their arms widely. Woo, Paul, hallelujah, blowing trumpets as he walks through the door. Oh, give me a break. They're afraid to even get near that man. 
They still don't believe he's a, a believer. Hello? But he goes up to Jerusalem. The Bible says, no, they're afraid of him. He's a man with no, no place. <laughs> the old Jew, Jewish believers and Judaism, they don't want him. He's not a part of them anymore. He's not even, the church don't even want him. Nobody wants him. Didn't that make you feel good? <clears throat> Had this powerful experience and powerful revelation from God out of Arabia, and nobody wants you. You know what he should have done? He should have stood up in the church and said, Hey, I'll need somebody to, to, to write letters for me and promote my ministry. I need to go join a denomination. That's what I need. I need to get my credential. I'm ready to preach. God will collide opportunity with your call and send you forth. You don't have to have, oh, come on. I'm, somebody sending letters out promoting your ministry. Anybody send me a letter promoting their ministry? I'll tear it up and throw it in the trash. Y'all okay? Now here we go. Watch this. What happens? Well, nobody wants him there. Or nobody, I say. There are, you know, few. <laughs> Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Now got a, we had Ananias and now we got Barnabas. And what's awesome, those that went before him are going to be less than him in the kingdom. As far as accomplishing in the kingdom. Ananias is an awesome believer who won Paul to God. Barnabas marked him in ministry. Ananias was a father that brought him to the truth. But Barnabas marked him in ministry. Give God praise. And those two men that were before him will become second and third fiddle to him. He's going to be number one fiddle. Whew, glory to God. See, there have men who've come and gone before me. And I praise God for them. Because I wouldn't be where I am today without them. I don't curse my past. I thank God for my past. Barnabas says, hey, brings him in before the apostles. This man preaches Jesus. Hello. He's for real. He's real. He's real. Hallelujah. Now watch this. He goes in and out at Jerusalem. I'm fixing to show you something very powerful. Paul is. He spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. When he did that, he's going in and out of Jerusalem there. He speaks to the Grecians. That's the Hellenistic Jews. Do you remember back there in Acts chapter 6 that he was a part of a synagogue that Stephen went and preached to that eventually rose up against Stephen and eventually brought him to the point of persecution and death? And Paul, I believe, was a part of that synagogue. I believe that Paul went back to that synagogue and preached the same Jesus that Stephen preached to him in years past. He said, I know I persecuted Stephen from this house, but I'm coming back with the same message that Stephen preached. And he preached it to the Grecians or the Hellenistic Jews. 
that he once was a part of in persecuting Stephen, he's now preaching to them about the same Jesus that Stephen preached to him earlier. Also, he preached to Jews in synagogues also. Hello, somebody. I'm almost through. Hallelujah. Verse 29, he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. And dis- say boldly. boldly. And disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to... No, they're going to try to kill him. Here where this guy's going, they want to kill him. That's the test of your ministry. We don't want conflict. We want everybody to be for us. When you preach this gospel the way it's supposed to be preached, you're not going to make everybody happy. In fact, some people are going to get mad and angry and want to kill you. And where he goes, they want to kill him, man. Oh, he's causing trouble. Paul, don't you, why don't you go take a psychology class? You weren't so radical. Now, here's what happened. The apostles have to say, Paul, you're too hot for us you are too hot to handle Paul we're going to have to get you out of town Jerusalem we can stay here but you're too hot watch I'm going to show you read it to you from the Bible which when the brethren knew they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. So now he's got to leave Jerusalem because he's too hot to handle. Wherever he goes, he's just too hot to handle. When you're really called by God, you're going to wonder at times, Lord, do you even have a place for me? Sometimes I'm too hot to handle. I'm too hot for myself. Too hot for people. God of mercy. But God has a place. He will cause your gifting and your opportunity to collide into his purpose. And this man will eventually become the greatest preacher who ever lived. But he's too hot to handle at the first. So they send him to Tarsus, and in Galatians chapter 2, it says that there he remained for 14 years. And he still hadn't been on his first missionary journey yet. He's been a believer for almost 20 years now, and still hadn't started his missionary journey yet. 14 years in Tarsus. Well, he was born there, as we said at the beginning of this message. I wonder what he did when he got back. Well, I, I, don't, I wonder what happened to his wife in the meeting, this, this conversion going up to Damascus and being there, you know, and then going to Arabia and back to Damascus and then to Jerusalem, you know, and where's his poor wife at? I said he had to be married to be on the Sanhedrin court. Poor wife, Paul, when are you coming home? I'm busy, I'm preaching, getting revelation, getting content for my experience, seeing Jesus on every page. Everywhere I go, they want to kill me, mama. They love my ministry in Jerusalem. They love me in Damascus. 
No, he got right back and said, everywhere, everywhere I go, they want to kill me. Hallelujah. My ministry is not accepted. But I'm getting revelation. He goes back to Tarsus. Maybe his wife is in Tarsus. I don't know. I'll just put it to you this way. I know his family was in Tarsus. Possibly. Maybe they're in Jerusalem by now. I don't know. But he went back to Tarsus. If his family wasn't there, why would he go back there? And why would they send him there? So I would just say this. I believe his family was there. And when he got there in Tarsus, you would believe that when he walked up, that his mama and his dad and possibly his wife were all there waiting to greet him. Oh, Paul, we're so glad to see you now. But Philippians chapter 3 tells us that uh, whenever he got converted, he lost everything. Lost everything. I believe he lost his wife. His mom and dad disowned him. They were wealthy, but they disowned him so that when he travels, now he's got to make a living by making tents. And from the offerings of God's people, he doesn't have any support behind him. He's a poor man. He's been disowned. Lost his wife. Lost everything. And there he is for 14 years in Tarsus until Barnabas. One day in church, they're talking about missionary trips and journeys. And Barnabas says, I know the man that God made from birth. I'll go get him. And he starts his missionary journeys. But with years of persecution and rejection and people wanting to kill him and being disowned by his own family before he ever starts. But God made his gifting and the opportunity collide. And at just the right moment in history, Paul is converted. And everything he's going through is God doing it to him. God did it to him. To prepare him to be the great apostle to the Gentiles. Hello. God is awesome. God's got a purpose for your life. And it might not be happening fast enough for you. But God has your address, Saul. And he's got a man by the name of Ananias that's going to witness you and teach you the truth. You'll get converted and you'll go through great things because, see, Ananias, when I raise this man up, you need to tell him how much he's, how much he's going to suffer for my name. Don't go in there and tell him how good it's going to be, you know. Tell him how much he's going to suffer for my name. And he did. God planned it. What does God have for you to do? Where were you born? What is your background? What is your upbringing? What do you have in knowledge? What do you have in ability? 
everything. You are not here by accident. Nobody. If you're in this church this morning, you're not here by accident. If you're in this church this morning, you are brought here by God to hear this word unto you. But we want to run from discomfort and run from suffering and run from persecution and run from the time of God's process. Because we don't understand that in God there, it, there is process, there is pain, there is pain, and there is purpose. Process, pain, purpose, and pace. Process, pain, pace. For purpose. You got to be willing to go through all of that. So do I. If I'm ever going to be used by God. Let me say it again. Process. Pain. Pace. And then purpose. How many of you want to be used by God? I want to be used by God. In closing I say this to you. <coughs> A minister asked me one time. He said. Why do God's preachers go through so much what does it take to be successful in ministry and here's what I told him I said it all depends on how much you can take how much can you take how much rejection how much pain how much suffering how much can you go through and still survive? That will determine your effectiveness in the kingdom of God. I didn't tell him, it <clears throat> depends on how long you spend in the Bible. Didn't tell him how long, it, how long it, you spend in prayer. I said, ultimately, whether or not you'll be used by God is how much you can take. That's a strange revelation, isn't it? But Jesus said, He's going to suffer greatly for my name. Now listen to me, church. Everybody wants to be used by God. And I'm not discounting the fact that we need to study and we need to pray. I do that all the time. But I'm telling you, it's going to depend on how much you are willing to suffer. As to how useful you will become in the kingdom of God. You will be rejected. Some people want to kill you. You will be hated for what you preach when you preach the truth. Your family might disown you outright for taking a stand against idolatry and paganism. You can't go in there worried about walking there with tact, yes. Walking there with wisdom, yes. But you cannot violate the Word of God and what you know about the Word of God simply because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. You may end up in jail for what you believe. You may die for what you believe. Then what it all boils down to is not how much you studied, but how much are you willing to understand the place of suffering in your life is going to determine whether or not you make it in the kingdom of God and make it in your usefulness. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise.
You know, because all of us want the door just to swing wide open, don't, don't we? You know, all of us want everybody to recognize us. Hallelujah. You want us to be calling, you know, getting calls all the time. Can you come minister for me? Can you come over here and give me your testimony, you know? And are you here? God might, God might look at you and say, well, right now what I want you to do is sit on a pew for 14 years. Me? Isn't God awesome? See, God doesn't get in a hurry when He calls a man to preach. He doesn't get in a hurry. Oh, come on, God. Don't you know this is Paul? He's going to change the whole world and you got him over in Tarsus for 14 years? God, God, oh, did you miss it, God? He doesn't get in a hurry. We do. I said, we do. Now, when it comes to salvation, you better hurry. Today is the day of salvation. You need to repent and be filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name today. But as far as our call is concerned, you might be sitting by one of the greatest preachers who's ever lived, brother. You might be sitting by one of the greatest soul winners that's ever lived, brother. They're just in development right now. They're in process. They're in pain. And they are in pace. And ultimately, they'll come out to fulfill the purpose of God in their life. But don't forget this. God does not get in a hurry. So I say, but, but pastor... My family's rejected me. My wife wants to divorce me. And some of you have been divorced. For the gospel. Is that right? It happened to Paul. I'm telling you, there's a price to pay for walking with Jesus. There is a cost. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. For walking with Jesus. Pastor, I don't want to go to church because my wife don't want to go with me. Get up and go anyway. Pastor, I don't want to go to church because my husband won't go to church with me. Get up and go anyway. There's a price to pay. Now in closing, what time is it? I got to get you right there about 1230. 1221, I've got nine minutes. Perfect. I'm what? Oh, 27. I got three minutes. But see, we're not going by his clock. We're going by my clock. My clock says 1221. But last night, I shared with you about that man who read that application for that preacher, and it was the Apostle Paul that the church didn't want. That same man showed pictures of the foreign mission field. In certain parts of the world. He showed one young beautiful woman. You could tell she was a beautiful woman before this happened to her. They threw acid all over her face and body. She was burned. Her face was burned. Her arms were burned from acid because she's a follower of Christ. They showed another picture of a man in, in China. They got his legs, put a broom or a stick behind his legs, tied his it's a weird contortion, but they tied his hands up around his legs and they lift him up and bounce him like that until his joints popped out of place and his ligaments ripped. 
so that he could no longer walk again. Showed another woman. They standing, standing on her feet. She's been up like this, standing on those government officials standing on her feet, and because she's crying for the pain, they're shoving a rag that you would polish your shoes with down her throat for three hours, trying to grasp and catch breath, sweat pouring down her face. Showed a picture of a, of a pastor in a church who had been shot to death. Why? For having a prayer meeting along with 15 other people in that church shot to death for having a prayer meeting talking to Jesus are you here all over the world showed a picture of, of one young boy who had been a young man because he witnessed who had been persecuted and on the side of his face you could tell where they had abused him whelps just all over his face they had abused this man they didn't get the picture up of this young lady but they had cut her throat did terrible things to this young lady's throat simply because she was a Christian when I saw that it just made me grasp gasp for air because I live in America and sometimes I get disappointed just because some little thing happened and just because things are just not going my way until I see that church are you a Christian am I a Christian let's stand Lord I thank you today for your awesome word I thank you for this apostles conversion and how he got converted and thank you for letting us see the things that he suffered in coming to Christ and then preaching that gospel and Lord God in the light of what I saw last night those pictures of martyred Christians all over the world I stand before you and I ask you to forgive me Lord for there are times God when I complain and I sit in a nice warm building today and I complain. In the summertime, I sit in a nice cool building and I complain. Father God, have mercy upon us. But on the other hand, I thank you for letting me see the suffering for your name's sake. I praise you for it. It encourages me to be real for you. Lord God, let me have the passion. But in remembering the passion, let me understand that the more passionate I am, the more persecution it brings. I worship you and I praise you. And I thank you for that awesome name by which I am called, the name of Jesus. You live in me and in this church. And we give you glory, honor, and praise. For the opportunity. Would you stand please with me. And let's lift your hands and worship him. Jesus I bless you. Jesus I worship you. Jesus I praise you. 
You are awesome. You are holy. You are altogether lovely. There's nobody like you. And now, Lord Jesus, we are about to go across the parking lot and eat a dinner together and fellowship together. I pray that you would cultivate love and unity among us. We're thankful for the food that we're about to eat. We ask that it would be nourished to our bodies and blessed. And we thank you for all of our friends and guests who have come. We pray that they would stay in fellowship with us. You love them. We love them. We're thankful they're here today. We praise you for it, Jesus. We are a blessed people. And everybody said amen. amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Boy, I tell you, when I think about things like that, it makes me <clears throat> understand the importance. Of, it makes me see priorities. Prioritize properly, you know. Hallelujah. Well, you are dismissed in the name of Jesus. And again, our dining hall is just right out those doors there. And we're going to eat together. So please stay. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.